How powerful is Cox Internet? So powerful that one day, your daughter will be able to simulate a soccer match against some of the world's best players right from your backyard. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Internet delivered through Cox's hybrid fiber coax network. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions apply. Bumble and Bumble Seaweed's invigorating shower ritual feels like an escape. Start with nutrient-infused shampoo and conditioner. The formula infused with royal sugar kelp, green microalgae, and Pacific sea kelp helps keep your scalp hydrated. Then open your jar of seaweed whipped scalp scrub to add two times more shine to your hair instantly. And before you head out, use seaweed air dry cream to give your hair that effortless beach look. Make your shower feel like an oasis with the Bumble and Bumble Seaweed Collection. Dive in now at bumbleandbumble.com. Where can you find the world's most haunted Christmas ornament shop? Does leprechaun poop smell the same as Bigfoot's? And can you outrun a ghost whose smile goes on forever? Join us today as we interview Rory and Kit of the hit comedy show, This Paranormal Life. And we might just answer these questions for you. Today on Homespun Haints. Hello, Hainted Loves. Welcome to Homespun Haints. I'm Becky. I am Diana. And we are so thrilled today on the show to have Kit and Rory of This Paranormal Life. It is a podcast of quote-unquote investigations into various paranormal phenomena. Kit and Rory are two best friends who spend the episodes, one investigates a paranormal event, and then the other tries to debunk it. And together, they have a very hilarious rapport. And at the end of the show, they let you know whether or not they think it is truly a paranormal or just unparanormal event. <laughs> now, would you say investigates or would you say researches? Because they did say they don't do a whole lot of on-site ghost spirit pendulum Ouija well, board <laughs> right. Well, they call it investigation kind of as a joke. So it's investigation mm. in quotes. It's hilarious. You guys are really going to love listening to them. They are so funny. We really had a good time talking to them. But before we bring on Kit and Rory, Diana, I understand you had a funny story you wanted to share with me. So the other day, I was in a shop. It's a capitalist free zone shop. Yes, yes, um, you're... you're <laughs> Free, free swap meet thing. Really, really free market. Yes. Really, really free market. (laughs) It's basically a shop set up by citizens for citizens. I mean, there is an organizer, but they are not like an official leader in any way. It's just a bunch of anarchists. They're undercover. Do they wear black sunglasses and a suit? They usually wear a beautiful sundress and a curly mustache. (laughs) 
it's a building full of anti-capitalist anarchists that just like have this great free-for-all of commodity free services and goods provided by the community. I was hanging out there and I was just kind of perusing the wares. I was just looking at some shirts on a table, no big deal. And I felt somebody go behind me and I felt something unusual. And I realized a couple seconds after they had passed behind me that the unusual feeling was them picking my pocket. Oh! Yeah. Dang it. Oh, (laughs) bummer. This realization dawns on me and, you know, my whole countenance sinks into where my testicles would be if I had any, but... Phantom testicles. Yeah, phantom testicle pain. It was horrible. Like Mm. everything. And they took the iPhone and my credit (gasps) card and driver's license that are attached to my iPhone. And I didn't have any way to do find my iPhone because I didn't have my iPhone. So I went crying to the organizer of the event. I said, please help me. I can't do anything because my entire life has been stolen from my pocket. Help. We reviewed some security footage. Nope, not there. I got on the public phone of the venue that the place is held at and called Amber. And I was like, you got to cancel this credit card. You've got to do find my iPhone. And she finally gets into find my iPhone. And this is while everybody in the security guard are watching over my shoulder, like riveted. So I went through the find my iPhone system and it's pinging outside some art gallery down the street. And we're like, okay, we're going to go follow it. So we have Amber call the organizer and we're wandering down the street looking for this art gallery. We finally find the art gallery and right in front of it is my car. (laughs) My phone had fallen out of my pocket in my car and I didn't realize it and when I went to the event some not so innocent person grabbed my booty and <laughs> oh <laughs> while I was leaning over grabbing a t-shirt I got my butt grabbed I have never been happier to experience a butt grab in my entire life <laughs> I've never been so happy to learn that I got groped in public <laughs> so very relieved yes but so many things about this story are wrong. I mean, I'm happy. I'm really happy. I'm sure it was very embarrassing, but I'm also very happy for you that you did not just have your entire life yeah. stolen. Oh, uh, no, it was great. The organizer was like, can I hug you? I'm like, please hug me. Please pet me on the head. Please tell me it's going to be okay. <laughs> I have had all of that stuff stolen from me before, and it's it's grueling. It's very oh, grueling. And it's- While you're in it, there's no difference between actually being pickpocketed and just thinking you're being pickpocketed because it's the same experience within your brain. It was the experience of being pickpocketed of all of my worldly possessions (laughs) at that moment. And so now I know what that feels like. And it sucks. Don't pickpocket people. It's just the wrong thing to do. Right, right. Don't grab Um, their asses either. It was an anarchist (laughs) community event. It's not surprising someone's going around grabbing butts. At least they're not robbing people. That's the important part. Because all of the missing iPhones at this event were located and it was all user error. So please don't think that people go around robbing at these free markets. They do not. They just grab my butt. I'm very happy that you have your life back. Thank gosh. And one butt cheek is more grabbed than the other. Is it? Or has it just evened out by now? I don't know. But apparently Diana has a really fine ass. 
I was leaning across the table. It was right there, ripe for the picking. It was a very crowded room. I'm not going to say Japanese subway crowded, but it was like turn sideways and brush up against people crowded. So it's a perfect opportunity if you happen to be a cereal butt grabber. Um, Was there any other kind? Is there any other kind? (laughs) I only dabble in butt grabbing on the weekends. (laughs) At least it was the butt. Do people grab other things like shoulders, ankles? I don't think you'd notice. I think you could get away with that, like grabbing somebody's shoulder. I think people would be like, what? And you could just be like, sorry, I tripped. Sorry, there was a mosquito. Sorry, I was just trying to keep you from walking into traffic. I think I'm going to become a pinky grabber. Ouch, you might break somebody's pinky, though. You're strong. very delicate. Be very delicate. Just with your with your own pinky. With my own pinky. I have like a little pinky brush and I'll go home <laughs> feeling like the pervert that I am. <laughs> I got away with it. I brushed their pinky. <laughs> <laughs> they'll never be the wiser. <laughs> I used to get my butt grabbed all the time on crowded subways. So I Oh, just, really? So yeah. you know what that feels like? Yeah, it feels like having your pocket picked. Yeah, it does, apparently. This is why you carry a a large purse instead of a wallet in your back pocket anymore, huh? Oh, yeah. I used to be all about the pockets and the small wallets, and I had a similar experience. I was at a conference in Seattle for work. This is back when I had a real grown-up woman job, and I was about to get on a plane and go home. This is like the last night I was there, and I realized I couldn't find my wallet. And it was an itty-bitty tiny little wallet. And I went back out of my hotel room. I wandered the streets of downtown Seattle at midnight, scoping the sidewalks, looking for this thing, thinking it had fallen out of my purse. Mm. Then I filed a police report. And then the next day, I, I went to my boss and admitted that I'd lost everything and asked her if she would loan me money <laughs> so I could get an Uber and get back to the airport And then I got to the airport and I had to get on a plane without having any ID. Yes, you can do it. I got a full pat down. I got all of these security questions like what was the make and model of the car your sister bought in 2004? Like that kind of thing. How did DSA know that? They got on the phone with some credit bureau or something and they were asking these Uh... questions. So there are ways they can verify your identity. And as I'm standing there behind the curtain with my arms up, my legs spread, being touched in every part of my body, not just my butt, and the security people are going through Every tiny nook and cranny of my Swiss Army backpack, I see my wallet fall out of a pocket that I didn't even know was in that backpack because it was a Swiss Army backpack. It was like a Swiss Army knife inside. It had like all these things that would open and close and different compartments shaped like scissors and nail files and things. And and I saw it and I just (laughs) kept my mouth shut. I was like, I could just end everything right now. Be like, here's my ID, but I was so embarrassed. Right? It's an embarrassing situation. And I knew that that was a pocket I didn't know about because the entire interior of the pocket was lined with crushed deodorant that must have fallen in there at some point, and I had no idea. <laughs> so, oh. so my wallet smelled great. It oh, smelled yeah, like yeah, a yeah. very clean armpit, but <laughs> I had to walk to my gate with my tail between my legs and walk up to my boss and be like, Here's your $100 back. I found my wallet. 
It's always a good feeling and a bad it feeling. It is a good feeling, yeah. I was, but now I'm that lady. <laughs> I'm that lady, yeah. I yeah. just I just had the entire airport, basically. It was an ordeal. It took me hours to get through all of that. I'm yeah, surprised that they managed to do all that security checks before you got on the plane, like they before do. the plane they, took off. Well, I got to the airport like five hours early because I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I even had the police report with me. So I get it. I get it. I totally understand there is an amazing feeling when you're like, ah, I didn't lose my wallet after all. I'm just a fucking idiot. I'm just that person. Just that person. Got my butt grabbed. (laughs) So did they put an announcement out telling people not to grab butts unless they were actually going to take a wallet because it was causing... No, they're anarchists. They're not going to police the people from grabbing butts. Was it like a brush? No, oh. it was it was very much like a caress of the buttock. Oh, but it was just one buttock. Just the buttock that the phone pocket <laughs> that I put my phone in. <laughs> Maybe the person was like, hmm, feels like there should be something in here. <laughs> Please don't speculate as to what should be in my butt. No, I meant um, in the pocket. Gosh. Oh. <laughs> Maybe you have like the folds, the creases on the pocket that look like there should be a phone in there. Oh, like the tobacco tin outline. Yeah. No, no, I don't. I don't want to speculate on what's in your butt. <laughs> Thank you. I know yes. it's too Listeners, juicy don't for the do air. that. No, no, do not think about Diana's butt. Absolutely, <laughs> do not think about Diana's butt. <laughs> Either cheek. I'm just gonna get a tramp stamp that says exit. I'm sorry, sorry, there's nothing in there. Everybody's thinking about your butt right now. I'm sorry. Scandal. <gasps> <gasps> Well, anyway, (laughs) a couple announcements we need to make before we bring on our special guests for today, Kit and Roy of This Paranormal Life. First of all, we would like to give a shout out to Andrea, who recently upgraded her pledge on our Patreon. So thank you so much, Andrea. That's very awesome of you. I know Andrea is trying to help us get closer to our goal of 100 patrons by September Mm -hmm. 1st. So if we meet our goal, I will fly to Tulsa. And I'm going to don a hazmat suit. So will Diana. And we will open the secret dumbwaiter passage, whatever it may be, in Diana's basement. And if we don't meet our goal, (laughs) then it will remain unknown what is inside there because the house is up for sale. So we may never know. (laughs) That's why we have a goal here. Yeah. So Limited time offer. If you want us to live stream this. And see what's in the basement and finally release the poor ghost that's stuck there. It's a genuine mystery. We don't know. Nobody we know knows. Yep. But otherwise, it's on you if that ghost is forced to stay there forever. It's your responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. Unless you are a patron, in which case, thank Thank you. you. You're awesome. To check it out, go to patreon.com slash homespunhaints. And if you're still, for some reason, not a patron, I mean, can you hear this commercial? Dun, dun, dun. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. How powerful is Cox Internet? So powerful that one day, your daughter will be able to simulate a soccer match against some of the world's best players right from your backyard. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. 
Internet delivered through Cox's hybrid fiber coax network. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions apply. Today on the show, we have Kit and Rory of This Paranormal Life. If you love our show, you're going to love their show. It is hilarious. I almost said hilarious as fuck. I don't want to open up with a word like that, but it is hilarious. And they do these armchair investigations, I will call them, of different paranormal phenomena. And then they discuss whether or not they're true. Truly paranormal, that is. Kit and Rory, thank you so much for being here today. This is really exciting for us. We love your show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us. That's a good question to ask right at the top of this podcast. Are we allowed to swear? Because I'm a bit of a loose cannon and I can't promise (laughs) I'm going to be able to contain my rage while talking about the paranormal. (laughs) You absolutely can swear and we do not bleep out the fucks. Wow. Okay. Now this is where I get to just recite a series of swear words to find out what you do beep. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Balls. All right, we're starting off. Titty blast. We actually have merch that says balls on it, so we're we're good. Did you just say titty blast? I did. I did. And I regret it a little bit so early in the podcast. What even is that? Rory just on a mission to alienate as many listeners as possible within the first couple of minutes, which I appreciate. No, thank you so much for having us. We're super excited to be on the show. So tell us a little bit about this paranormal life. You all are childhood friends, correct? You've grown up together and you've always had this great rapport, which definitely comes through on your show. And then you like to, I guess, argue about different paranormal events. So tell us a little bit about all of that. Yeah, we've been doing this show for quite a while now. It must be coming up to five years. The premise of the show is, or was originally, two quote-unquote paranormal investigators where every week we dive into a new story hosted by one individual. They bring all the evidence to the other person, and together we dissect it, tackle it, and come to a conclusion at the end as to whether or not we believe it is really paranormal. You could think of it like a Mythbusters-style approach. You know, who's got time for sitting around reading reams of research, watching multi-part series on Netflix? We want 25 minutes with ads. We tell you the the absolute (laughs) most brief description of what's going on and then definitively decide at the end whether it's true or not. It needs to be satisfying, you know? Are you tired of websites that have been Frankenstein together? Oh, my website is so slow and creaky. Every time I use the search bar, it just returns Abby Normal over and over again. Becky's sister company, The Concept Spot, holds the secret to life itself and can create new life from nothing. In fact, we've been giving life to highly functional websites for the last 25 years using premium parts we swear we didn't salvage from graveyards. Ooh, check out that head image. Instead of going my new website purrs. Need a blog? The Concept Spot can do that. Want an online store? We can do that too. We build our sites from the cellular level. No reused templates or discarded body parts here, so we can make your site do whatever you want and look however you want. (gasps) It's gorgeous! 
I can't even see the stitches. We can also resurrect your dead website if rigor mortis has set in. Oh, it's like a new man. If you think homespun haints is frighteningly genius, you should see our websites. Let your favorite ghoulish gals, Becky and Diana, build you a monstrous website that will wreak havoc on the internet for years to come. Visit theconceptspot.com for more information. It's live! It's live! And most of the time, it's not paranormal. Or you both Hmm. put in your votes, and usually you determine it's not paranormal. Yeah, it kind of is a funny thing. We first started doing the show all those years ago. The joke was that we were calling ourselves professional paranormal investigators while also knowing essentially nothing about the paranormal. We had no authority (laughs) to make decisions about anything that we talked about, like a lot of podcasters, I would say. But accidentally, through years and years of uh, doing this show and covering all these cases, just through that process now, we both have ended up knowing quite a lot about the paranormal, whether that's ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, hauntings. But we've still also remained, I think, that level of skepticism that we've had from the start. For us, it feels like that means when a case is a double yes on the podcast, it has that extra feeling of legitimacy where people get really, really excited because the end of the podcast, sometimes it's the individual who was hosting it, you know, they're 100% convinced and they're trying to convince the other person that it's real or that they should believe it. And you kind of have this conflict and sometimes it gets resolved, sometimes it doesn't and it ends up being a no, but it makes it all that sweeter when we get a double yes on the podcast. So neither one of you is really the Scully or the Mulder, right? You both just sort of alternate depending on who did the research. Yeah, it kind of goes week by week. And sometimes the person hosting the case uh, by the end doesn't really believe in it either. I think it can get ripped apart (laughs) quite a lot. But that's the kind of the, the nice thing about our show is because it's a paranormal podcast, but also a comedy podcast. You have those serious cases like Roswell or the Enfield hauntings. But then you also have episodes that are a lot more lighthearted, like about the Loveland Frogman or the Lizard Man or things like that. They're fun paranormal stories to talk about, but there's really not a lot of believability there. Well, they're fun to you. <laughs> yeah, kid, kid <laughs> believes, I should say. <laughs> okay, so you're the Mulder. <laughs> yeah, we find him. Yeah, we find him. Yeah, I'm the Mulder. There's probably, as Roy says, varies week to week and varies probably topic by topic as well. I'm sure you guys have found similar things, having a podcast for kind of a stretch of time that... Like, I don't think we went in even knowing where it would lead or like where our biases would end up. I mean, it's even interesting for us to be talking to you guys because you guys specialize in hauntings. We talk a lot about how we, it's not that we're biased against hauntings and ghost stories, but we find that they're often harder to prove, put it that way. That's for damn sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And on our show, we don't try to. Diane and I are not professional paranormal investigators by any stretch we just want to hear the story we just want to hear the experience if it sounds like it makes sense to the person telling the story then we're like okay that's a good story let's put that out yeah and it's a lot of fun we're certainly not trying to convince anybody that ghosts are real that's their problem if they don't believe in them so when you bring something to the show do you have to defend it or can you bring something that you think is complete bs and just present it because You can kind of bring something that doesn't really have a lot of legs. I think in that situation, the host of that episode tries to, with the best intentions, tell these stories and make it as kind of legitimate or as fun as possible before the conclusion, which basically rips it all apart. 
We use sound effects and music and on-location dialogue, in a sense, to bring it to life, to make it kind of feel like you're listening to an audiobook level quality of reciting these stories. Which means, even if it's a ridiculous story that you don't really believe, you're still having a pretty fun time listening to it play out in your ears. Your show definitely accomplishes that. I was actually listening to one of your episodes just recently, which was extra amazing because it was a case on the Crescent Hotel and Ballroom, which was one of my favorite stories that I did recently on our podcast because that story is fucking nuts. It's crazy. It's wild, isn't it? It it goes beyond just like (laughs) a typical haunting. Once you read about the history of that building, it's so weird and scary. It's like an actual horror movie in real life. It's terrifying. Have you been there to the Crescent? No. Either of you? I know Diana's been there. You've been, Diana? Diana I basically grew up like <laughs> going there because that's like the closest <laughs> tourist destination to Tulsa, Oklahoma. That was where my family went when we had like a three-day weekend or something like that. If you see the grand fireplace, when you walk in the front door, there's a grand fireplace with a sitting room and there's a fan screen in front of it. And that I grew up with that in my house and they purchased it from our, our family. Wow. Yeah, so I've got weird ties to the Crescent Hotel. And there's a lot of photos of Diana with all the weird jars of the tumors. <laughs> That they found in the basement. Yeah, a lot of incriminating shit, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. (laughs) I know that you cover stories about everything, UFOs, cryptids, Mm -hmm. men in black, and of course, ghosts. What would you say is, other than the Crescent, what would you say is one of the most standout ghost stories that you each have covered? That's a great question. I think the favorite one that I've covered is one that we talked about on the podcast not too long ago. It's the case of the White Lady of Connecticut. It's a really interesting story because, as Kit said, one of the problems that we kind of have on our podcast is when we reach our conclusion section, whenever we're talking about ghosts or spirits, there's not a lot of, by definition, not a lot of physical evidence that you can really go by. It's a lot of word of mouth or legends or maybe blurry photographs, but really there's not that much left behind to talk about. But the White Lady of Connecticut was really interesting because it was a story involving the ghost of a woman who used to walk around a graveyard in the nearby area. And one night in Connecticut, there was a uh, electrical transformer explosion which basically sent huge, huge surges of electricity through the air and it rocked the whole city. And in that window where that event took place, this is going to sound crazy, but in the window when that took place, someone hit the ghost with their car. Oh! Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and that's why it becomes really interesting because there's a lot of theories of like, okay, that's something we know you pretty much can't do is hit a ghost with your car. But is there some kind of scientific explanation where that amount of electricity being pumped into the air temporarily granted a physical body to this entity? And then it became this cool discussion about if that was possible, all the theories around the story and things like that. It was a really interesting case for us because, as I said, a lot of the times, if you guys have covered ghost stories, you know... It's a lot of the same beats in a lot of the same stories. People fading in and out of walls, hearing moaning, (laughs) the lady in gray, white, black, all the same boxes being ticked. So this one for me, I I just thought this was a really cool concept. I love it. And did it damage the car? Oh, it destroyed the car. (laughs) 
It it, it what? Yeah, it, it completely. So this car was speeding along, and the craziest part was. Right off the bat, you would be very skeptical that this even took place. The person driving the car, if I remember right, was a police officer. Oh. Who, who was going to the scene. <laughs> and after the crash, there was no one. The, the figure just disappeared immediately. And even the people behind the police officer who was driving would be like, what just happened? Where did the woman go? We have no idea what just happened. It was a really strange event. But yeah, very scary really eerie and unique as well, which is why I love it. So if there was a cop that hit her, was there anything captured with his like dash cam or body cam or anything? I don't remember what year that this took place. I mean, a transformer is exploding. So it's around the time Optimus Prime was on Earth. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be kind of modern day at least. But if there was any dash cam footage, I haven't seen it. What part of Connecticut was this in? Do you remember? I, I do not remember. Our, our American geography is admittedly quite embarrassing. I think any time we have to cover a story based out in the States, the characters in the story have about a choice of three different accents. And I right. kind of assume that covers the entire continent. <laughs> East, West, and... Yeah, it's true. I, I live in the middle of the United States and I have three different accents, so that's perfect. There we go. Yeah. She does. We were talking the other day how she only has three vowels. Because my mom is from New York, and so all of my O's come out as A's, and then I'm from Oklahoma, so all of my I's also come out as A's. So I have no (laughs) I's or O's in my accent at all. (laughs) But before we got on the show, we learned that Rory actually was born in Savannah, Georgia, and his family's still there. So I assume that the Southern Savannah accent is one of the ones in your repertoire. Oh, it is. It is. Yes. A total coincidence. It was until after we started this podcast that I even found out that where I was born is one of the most haunted places in all of America. (laughs) We did an entire episode where we were talking about all the best haunted locations in Savannah and uh, kind of as a bit for the episode. I created a fictional third host of the podcast called Juke Jackson, a Savannah local who introduced us to the the local areas. I think he owns a Christmas ornament shop. He owns a Christmas ornament shop on River Street. (laughs) Deep lore. Deep, deep lore. I used to own an art gallery next to a Christmas ornament shop. In Georgia. In In Georgia. Georgia as well? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was a great episode. It re- it really was. So keep listening to this show if you want to hear Duke Jackson. He's going to make a surprise appearance at the end of the show. <laughs> Kit, tell us about the standout ghost case or haunting case or possession case, whatever fits into that umbrella that you have told to Rory on the show and perhaps tried to convince him it's true. Yeah, I think the last one that I maybe got a little bit gassed up about was the legend of Kuchisake Onna from Japan, the slit-mouthed woman. Uh, are, are you <sighs> familiar? Mm-hmm. Okay. So okay. creepy. Uh, tell us about so, it. So, yeah, for, for anyone listening who's unaware, which, yeah, it's a famous legend from Japan, but the tale goes that back in medieval times in Japan, there was a samurai, and he was a cruel man. I think the point of the legend is that his wife, like, betrayed him beyond all reproach and beyond all repair. And so he justifiably 
assaulted her. I think <laughs> I think when you actually go back with a, a, a modern framework, I think she did very little. <laughs> in, <laughs> right. it, it, I, I seem to remember we were like, I, I don't really, I don't really know what the premise of the story was, why it kind of got escalated as far as it did. But the short story is, he was evil, and he basically said, "For what you've done to me, you will never do to another, because I'm going to kill you." Words to that effect, and then he took his samurai sword, unsheathed it, and then slit the corners of her mouth like the Joker, and then she bled out on the floor. The story was repeated over the years, but even as recently as, I believe, certainly the 20th century, and I can't quite remember, I think there may be reports into the 21st century, but hundreds of years later, people in the streets of Tokyo report seeing a woman I think for the in large part wearing like modern dress as well, like very much blending into the surroundings. And the story goes that if salarymen are walking home late at night after the bar and they see a beautiful woman walking along and they might catcall her or something like that. And then she's kind of all too happy to play ball with them and do a little bit of back and forth like, oh, so you think I'm beautiful? And they're like, hell yeah, I do. And she's usually got a surgical mask on at this point. This was pre-COVID as well. And then she would do a little bit of a back and forth that she would have a, a game that she kind of plays. Oh, you think I'm beautiful? And then if they answer yes, she then escalates the questions. And then it would usually turn into, what about now? And then she rips her mask off, revealing a huge row of like shark teeth. And then she brutally murders the person there in the street and then skulks off into the night. Sounds wild. But I, I think what's fascinating about it and why, I mean, me and Rory are, we have to come out and publicly admit, we are sort of Japanophiles. We love anything to do with Japanese culture and legend and everything. It's all fascinating. And they obviously have an unbelievably rich paranormal history of cryptids and things like that. But what makes this one, even though it's so wild, it is pretty widely reported. And like people kind of of all ages claim to have seen it and across the generations too. And maybe lastly, what I like about it is that it's, especially with young people, it's taken on almost like a Beetlejuice quality of it's, it's become this playground, like, thing, like, don't eat too many sweets or the slip mouth woman will hit you or whatever. It's almost like, don't talk about her too much or else she might appear. We had also heard that if you throw sweets at her, she'll maybe get distracted enough that you can get away. Right. That was kind of one of the suggestions oh. we'd read about. Yeah, you, you're. I forgot that there were, because it's a while ago we did it. I forgot that there were, again, there's rules to the game. There's rules to the game of like, you can trick her. <laughs> I think one of the rules was just, if you just run as soon as, as, soon as you see it, just run fast enough, you <laughs> might be able to get away. Or I think if when she asks you whether you think she's beautiful if you basically shrug, you're like, ah. She's like, it's not a yes, it's not a no. She doesn't really know what to do. Ah, okay. Because oh, okay. uh, if you say no, you don't think she's beautiful. She'll mutilate you anyway. <laughs> yeah, so there's yeah, no yeah. winning if you answer the question. It's a trap. I see. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that option of just sprinting away. Because that's kind of how the solution to, I think, a lot of interactions with ghosts. <laughs> like, that's kind of how you can get away from... <laughs> and women. From a lot of... <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, as a paranormal investigator... I should usually be on the side of the Ghostbusters, but if this is a demon who basically shows up at night and kills drunken men catcalling women, I think I'm kind of on the side of the ghosts for this one. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, the, these guys <laughs> kind of seem like bastards, so they at least deserve a good yeah, haunting. She's taking kind of fuck the patriarchy <laughs> to its extreme logical conclusion, but, you know, 
History will probably defend her. (laughs) There's a lot of justifiable assault in this story. It's a term you don't hear often enough. (laughs) It's a a horrible combination of words. Justifiable (laughs) assault. (laughs) So you said that you're quite the Japanophiles. What other stories from Japan have intrigued you that you'd like to share? Oh, that's a great question. I always remember one really vividly. I don't know if you remember it quite as well, Kit, because I think it was my case that I hosted. But we did an episode on the legend of the Jiki Ninki, which is not quite a demon, not quite a ghost, a bit of a mix between the two of them. It's usually a monster that sort of takes a human form and at, I believe, certain cycles then becomes this monster that essentially needs to eat human flesh. So there's a lot of great stories. A lot of, of, lot of um, through lines you know, here, actually. Yeah, there's a lot of amazing stories of different accounts of people meeting old hermits living out in the woods who try to warn you off and don't want you to come anywhere near them. And it turns out that's the person who's been turned trying to keep humans away from them for the point when they transform. So like a werewolf. Yeah, very, very similar to the kind of structure of a werewolf. So they're not always in this form. They can transform at different times. Yeah, I think it it probably is very similar, whether it's the moon or some part of the month, they're forced to transform in the Mm -hmm. night and they basically lose the human side of themselves and become this monster for a brief period of time. But that's the amazing thing about a lot of the ghost stories that come out of Japan is they've just had, it's a country that has just so much rich folklore where ghosts and spirits is so intertwined with the history and even the religions as well, the Shintoism, where they believe that every parts of the world themselves have spirits. It's a really interesting culture when you're looking into the paranormal. It's no wonder that you guys have fallen in love with the stories there. What about uh, you guys? Do you have a favorite ghost or spooky story that we should keep our eyes out for? It's hard to narrow it down. I grew up in East Tennessee, so we have a lot of rich stories here. The town I grew up in has an old mansion called the Rotherwood Mansion. I don't know if you've ever heard about this or talked about this. It's relatively well known, but maybe not so much outside of the Southeast United States. Mm -hmm. When I was a child, I had a friend who lived across the river from it. And we always said we were going to sneak out of the house and go look for the ghost of Rowena, who wanders the banks of the river that the house sits on the legend that there was a man his name was ross he had built the house and he was a huge fan of sir walter scott he loved the story of ivanhoe so he named his daughter rowena and he named the mansion rotherwood mansion and on her wedding day of course rowena's beau decided he was going to go fishing out on the river with some friends. And the tides of this river are very unpredictable, even though you can see across it, it's not not a very big river. The boat toppled and he drowned in the undertow and she witnessed it all. So now to this day, she wanders the banks in her white wedding gown. But (laughs) But the more sinister story of this is Ross then went into bankruptcy and his financial manager, as he was called, Joseph Phipps, took the house from him. So there was probably some nasty wheeling and dealing happening there. Phipps inherits the house and Phipps was an evil, evil man. He was a brutal slave owner. Stories that sound like they could have come right out of the LaLaurie mansion in New Orleans happened here. 
There was even a post that he had on the top floor in the attic that still drips with blood. They oh say that goodness. he would tie people to and whip them. And really, it's just it just is the way humidity happens. The wood expands. Pieces of blood that are still there, you know, come out. But it looks like it's fresh blood that drips <laughs> Wait, out so of this Wait, so it's really blood post. that comes out of this motherfucker? Yeah, there's really blood, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> at least this is what I've been told. I thought you were going to be like, it's phantom blood or something. You're like, no, it's, it no, is real. I mean, it's, it's real blood. <laughs> so, the big story about Phipps is he would cackle maniacally when he hurt people. And so people still hear his cackles wandering through the halls. But the story that got everybody going was when he died. He died toward the end of the Civil War. The story is that he had fallen sick, probably with malaria or something, and he was on his deathbed. It was summer. And the boy who was fanning him, the servant, said that suddenly the swarm of flies came out of nowhere in through the open window and covered Phipps, went into his eyes, went into his ears, went into his nose, went into his mouth and basically suffocated him and terrified. The boy ran downstairs, got some help. They came back up. All of the flies were gone, but Phipps was dead. What? Wow. So a few days later, they're burying him and the whole town, my entire town shows up. This is like 1865. So I knew people who had like, great-grandmothers and great-grandfathers who were at this funeral. And they try to put the casket on a cart and drag it to the burial site with horses, but it would not budge. The cart would not budge. It was a beautiful summer day. So they brought out another set of horses and the horses slowly started to go, but the wheels were running into the dry soil. It would not move. And then the sky opened up and a huge storm came out of nowhere. The pallbearers ran up to the casket, just lifted it up and ran it to the gravesite. And rain is coming down. The entire town was there. I mean, not much happens in my town. So this was a yeah. big deal. Everybody wanted to come to the funeral. And the sky is raining. The water is coming down. The preacher is trying really hard to get through the service quickly because nobody brought an <clears throat> umbrella. Nobody expected the storm. And as he's finishing up, the casket starts to shake. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. It's the one thing they shouldn't do. They own everything. <laughs> and the preacher notices this, and he's like, uh, okay, our father, how art in heaven, blah, 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 blah. And the casket keeps keeps shaking, and the preacher's, like, pretending it's not happening, and everyone's like, what the, what's going on? And then the lid bursts open of the casket, and a black dog jumps out what? Jesus. and runs off. <laughs> oh my god. That's such poor form on the priest's behalf. That, that's a dude who knows if someone doesn't get buried, he doesn't get paid. So he's like, oh shit, he's moving. Our father wart in heaven. Just put him in, put him in, put him in. <laughs> he shut the casket back and they buried the empty casket. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, someone's like, hey, I think th I think he might be alive. No, no, no. Our father no, 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 he's no, fine. No, no. Definitely dead. Let's just bury it. Well, I mentioned the story to somebody I grew up with a few years ago, and she said, that's really interesting. I have a friend that goes by that house every night on her way home from work. She's a nurse and she works late. And she's like, she always reports this black dog with eyes that almost seem like they're glowing, sitting at the edge of the lawn, watching her car go by. Wow. Ooh. 
something seemingly That's... normal until you know the story. <laughs> That's spooky. Hey, that is a great story. Hiding and play in sight. That's a great one. I don't know if we've looked into that one before, so that that would definitely be one for us to cover. Look at the Rotherwood Mansion. You might have to dig kind of deep to find all the pieces of that story, especially since the current homeowner is like, no, this place is fine. Come to my ball, have a mint julep. (laughs) Yeah, I just grew up with ghost stories. It was just a normal thing. Elementary school teachers would tell their kids ghost stories, like like the Rotherwood ghost story. Like, hey, kids, watch out. Don't play by that mansion. You might get eaten by a hellhound. All right. And now let's learn our ABCs. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's something we can really relate to. We've talked about it on our show that at school, and they definitely don't have this in London, where Rory's sitting, to my knowledge. But growing up in Ireland, we had heritage class, which I think on paper, the idea was it was to teach us Irish, Irish language and teach us about Irish culture. The teacher really took it upon herself to take it in some interesting different directions. She was teaching us as facts, like how to defend yourself against the Banshee, how to defend yourself against the Dullahan. Like what a Dullahan even was. It's just like drawing diagrams. Like, so he's got a bucket of blood. And so you're going to want to dodge the bucket of blood because, and if he doesn't get you with that, he's got a, he rips out his own spine. He can whip you with the spine. Yeah. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say on record that some classes have more academic value than others, right. but part of the exam for heritage class was drawing a picture of a leprechaun. Are you, you kidding me? This sounds like the most valuable class ever. I wish we were kidding. <laughs> I can't believe I missed this. The leprechaun's now a protected species. Yes. Yeah. We covered it not too long ago, actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we, we, as grim as it is, we were looking at photos of leprechaun skeletons on the podcast, weren't we, Rory? <laughs> we had a little That was tidings. a real low point. R- Rory, <laughs> Rory claims that it might have been a raccoon or a badger or something, but... Apparently, it's a leprechaun skeleton. It was worrying as well because Kit claimed he had an alive one at the start of the podcast. But when we got to the evidence portion, it was just bones. (laughs) Well, at least you have bones. Like here, nobody has a Bigfoot bone. Yeah. Now, there is Bigfoot poop on display at the Bigfoot Museum about an hour north of me. Wow. Just an hour north. But what did did you think Mm -hmm. of that? Yeah. You know what? I have not been able to go to the Bigfoot Museum yet. I cannot convince anybody to go with me. And I don't want to go go with you. I'll be there in October. We'll go. We'll go see Bigfoot poop together. We'll go see Bigfoot poop. Yeah. (laughs) I have another question for you. I feel like the states are just this, I don't know, like the word cesspool of other kinds of paranormal activity with our Bigfoot and our Wendigo and our UFOs, UFOs, UFOs everywhere. Does the UK have that same level of paranormal conspiracy theories and alien type activity or is it is that more of a u.s phenomenon you know it's funny you mention it because uh when we're kind of comparing the u.s and the uk is while the uk maybe gravitates more towards ghosts and spirits and that side of the paranormal it feels like a lot of the times where we're covering instances of ufo sightings or abductions and a lot of cryptid cases Often it is in America or North America. So it's interesting that there is that difference, whether or not it's just because of the kind of the way that the interests of these countries is kind of inclined to believe in either the spirit side or the kind of UFO paranormal side. But we do often find our stories in the US just because of that. 
Lots of cryptid stories, lots of alien, paranormal, UFO sightings and things like that. We have so many aliens. But isn't there a cryptid in literally every lake in Scotland? <laughs> there is. <laughs> there's a cryptid in every town in the UK. It's insane. But as someone who's covered a lot of cryptid stories, I think one of the reasons we spend a lot of time in the US is a lot of the UK cryptids, they kind of, a lot of them are kind of born out of folklore, meaning they're fun and whimsical, but there's not really a lot of truth or evidence behind it. Whereas a lot of the ones that we hear about and investigate in the States are very simple, kind of more realistic, normal creatures that could possibly scientifically exist. For um. example, if you're talking about the U.S., you could be talking about just a creature that's kind of like a wolf, but a little bit bigger and has razor sharp teeth. And then in the UK, you're talking about dragons. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's yeah. fun to talk about dragons, but I think there's a world in which one of these could exist and it's not the dragons. <laughs> I mean, even looking at some of the Irish ones we, we just mentioned, I feel like the Irish ones might even be a, an example to your point, Rory, where, again, we, we've covered the Banshee, but even though there's other Irish cryptids i guess you could call them or spirits we haven't covered that many of them because it is sort of one of these things where if you talk to someone over the age of 70 they might claim to have seen one or heard one very often like a doulahan or something like that but those sightings and experiences just fall off a cliff edge as far as like age goes i think you'd be really hard pushed to find anyone under the age of 40 who's almost even heard of those things compared to yeah, hard to make generalizations, but it feels as if, I mean, even when we're researching some cases in America, like half the time you're just pulling up TikTok and searching like not deer or chupacabra into TikTok <laughs> and there's like teens getting videos in the forest or whatever. It percolates through the culture a bit more. Yeah, and I, I think that oh, yeah. the culture is an interesting thing to bring up as well when talking about cryptids, because definitely I think America as a whole has more of a culture and like history of hunting being more of a popular thing yeah. in the UK I don't even think it's legal really it's it's not a thing really people do so it's no surprise you hear more stories from a place where more people are going out into the woods with bows and arrows and guns and trying to fight animals no wonder you hear a story about an animal that kicked you in the back of the head in the middle of the night <laughs> hunting is not legal there Oh my goodness. I don't think it's probably very protected. There is hunting, but it's extremely class based. It, like the shooting of yeah, the pheasant she, with the hounds and all that. You'd have to be pretty damn rich over here to be hunting. It's mm. a posh kind of thing. So, what is it like to not go to bed hearing shots ringing out? <laughs> that sounds really nice. Well, I do live in East London, so that's still something. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Gotcha. So you just got back from a tour. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, last year we rounded up our first ever tour, which was a tour of the UK where we are based. And we went to Glasgow, Manchester, Belfast and our birthplace of London. And it was absolutely fantastic. And we covered a different kind of paranormal case in each city that was relevant to that place. For example, when we did the show in Belfast, we were like so, so strapped for time, but we were like driving to the gig. It's like, all right, we've got to get there for this time. We've got to do the sound check, make sure we get in before doors. We've got to do a quick detour by a haunted house. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a mere 35 miles out of the way. Uh, it'll be fine. 
but it was very cool to to research stuff on the hoof like that and then kind of turn up at the show in front of like a bunch of listeners and be able to not only talk about a haunted house but be like i stole some of the flooring and i have it and we're gonna scan it with an emf reader (laughs) it wasn't it it, it didn't light up i seem to remember so uh no you know it was worth the journey and Excitingly, we are going to embark in October, this October, spooky season, we're going on our first ever, we're calling it the world tour, but it is America and the UK. So we're we're coming to the States for the first time and hoping to do something similar and going around some cities and investigating local paranormal cases. Are you coming to Atlanta? I hate to say it. Unfortunately, not. But, but I was I was Savannah? pushing for an Atlanta show. I was pushing for a Savannah show. What's the nearest one that we, that we have? My American Jug- <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> Chicago. That's <laughs> what we. Eight hundred miles away. I feel like the crowd are turning on us here. What we will say yeah. in our defense was we wanted to do absolutely everywhere, and our booking agent kindly and respectfully told us, fuck off, you've never been in America before. You've got to show us you could do a good job in a couple of cities and then we'll come back and do it all again next year, hopefully. There's a lot of cities. Well, where in Chicago are you going to be? What venue are you going to be at? I assume you're hitting New York and LA, like the big three, they call them. Yes. Exactly. Yes, so Chicago, we're doing Morer Hall. Morer Hall in Chicago. LA, San Francisco, Chicago, uh, Somerville, and New York. Somerville. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're, 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 Somerville. T- we're told that it's extremely close to Boston. All right. So This is where you tell us it's like 300 miles. <laughs> please, away. please like, tell us it's really close. It's pretty to close, yeah. Okay, thank God. Okay. If it's any consolation, we've got a lot of criticism for performing in Somerville. It's like a suburb of Boston. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not too far away. You'll love all of those places. Chicago's great. You said you're going there in October? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our, our whole October. We're long underwear. Oh, God. I think we have a few days in between shows. So hopefully we can make the most of it because, as you said, there's just so many amazing locations in every city. We just did a whole episode on the ghosts of Alcatraz. Alcatraz, it is so amazing. And Chicago, too, is now considered to be one of the most haunted cities in the U.S., the Drake Hotel in Chicago is considered to be one of the most haunted hotels in Chicago. Mm. Our big urban legend is Resurrection Mary. She's a popular legend, but she originated in Chicago. She was in a dance hall and never made it home. And now if you go to that location, you might see a beautiful lady who wants to dance with you. You give her a ride home and she just mysteriously disappears by the cemetery. Of course. Whoa. Yes, we've definitely been suggested this. I don't think I think we've covered a potentially similar legend to this, but not exactly this. And then what is considered to be the most haunted cemetery in all of the U.S. is Bachelors Grove Cemetery. It is just south of Chicago in Midlothian, Illinois. And there are legends of a weird two-headed horseman fusion thing that you'll see plowing the side of the road. It was a village and then it was a burial ground for Civil War soldiers and then it was desecrated and then it was a dumping ground for the mob. Every single grave has been desecrated. People, for a while, were doing satanic rituals there. There are stories of a house that appears and disappears. Whoa. It's nuts. That's called Bachelor's Grove. So Once you get to San Francisco, you won't have to look very hard for the most haunted cemetery because the entire city is built on top of bodies. Oh, yes. The poltergeist town. Oh, really? really? I didn't know that. Yeah, we did an episode on that. It's called The Bodies Under San Francisco. They used to have a bunch of cemeteries and they moved the headstones and not the bodies. 
a lot of the town is built on old cemeteries on old bodies and people will be digging up bodies when they do renovations and things like that mamma mia god that is uh, that is inauspicious (laughs) (laughs) to say the least i feel i feel like you can't just move the headstone and not touch the bodies and assume that that's going to be fine that's not really how that should work that's like having a pint (laughs) of expired milk so you just take the label off of it yeah. so you can't see anymore and drink the milk. It's like you, you're going to have all the same problems <laughs> just because you removed right. it. Yes. It yes. doesn't make it fine now. It's a good analogy. Please keep us posted on your tour. Absolutely. When you have the dates for that, let us know and we'll link to it in the show notes of this episode. I can tell you right now. It's all over October. So the 6th in LA, 8th in San Francisco, 11th October in Chicago, 15th in New York and 16th in Somerville. We have a lot of listeners in all of those cities. Oh, yeah. Well, we'd love to see you guys hopefully for the next run. 2024. That would be fun. Savannah, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least Atlanta. Savannah would eat this up. Savannah would love it. So would Atlanta. Oh, yeah. It's so nice to get to come on the show and chat to you guys and especially hear more about the ghosts and the spirit and poltergeist side. Thank you for having us on. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. To our hainted loves, you've been listening to Rory and Kit of This Paranormal Life, which is, as you probably gathered, a very, very funny podcast. Make sure you have a bucket nearby. You might pee yourself otherwise when you listen to it. It is hilarious. Really enjoy listening to you guys. And where can people find your podcast? Head over to thisparanormallife.com or just search us in any app that you like, This Paranormal Life. We've got a great episode coming out this week on a ventriloquist doll made during World War II that now can move its mouth and eyes by itself. It is. Holy shit, that sounds terrible. There are videos of it, and it's some of the scariest shit I've ever seen in my life. It's terrifying. I cannot wait to listen to that. That sounds awesome. (laughs) That does sound awesome. And when, when do your episodes air? Every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. So for the American listeners, that would be probably your late Mondays, early Tuesdays, which is great. So people can listen to this episode, and then they can just... Hop right over to this paranormal life and listen to a ventriloquist doll that operates without the ventriloquist. That sounds <laughs> terrifying. Before we go, though, do we get to hear Duke uh, Jackson? <laughs> yes, Becky. Get his ass. I was so hoping you were going to forget. <clears throat> All right, if so you, if you, just, if, excuse, I'm just going to... Yeah, if you need to get in character, do whatever you need to do. Yeah. Yeah, I usually have like a hat or something I can wear or one of those kind of cowboy ties, you know. All right, okay, I'm just going to... Well, hello, my name is Juke Jackson, Savannah local and owner of the oldest sugar factory in the South. (laughs) (laughs) And the Christmas ornament shop? (laughs) The the Christmas (laughs) ornament shop has been discontinued. Okay, okay. (laughs) Limited, yeah, limited. If y'all ever head down to Savannah, Georgia, you let me know when I can give you a tour of all the finest locations. And before anyone gets too attracted to that beautiful voice, what age is is Duke again? 52, sir. That's younger than I thought, actually. <laughs> I think he's rounded down. I think he's rounded down, to be fair. I think in his lore, he fought in a war and refused to say which one it was. That's right. So his age, his age is kind of ambiguous. And his uh, political it's... beliefs are also somewhat ambiguous. Yeah, but between you and me, it wasn't it wasn't the Iraq war. It wasn't the Iraq war. Older, older. Gotcha. Ooh. 
Love it. Well, thank you so much, Kit, Rory, and Duke, for coming on our show. <laughs> thank you so much for having us. So appreciate it. Painted Loves, what do you think of all this? Does your country have more believable cryptids? Did you fail your Irish history class exams and now you're drenched in a bucket of blood? If so, you'll probably have a spooky day. Homespun Haints is hosted by Becky Kielimnik and Diana Doty and produced by Homespun Haints Media LLC. Editing and music by Becky Kielimnik. Show notes by Diana Doty. If you have a ghost story and you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, please visit our website at homespunhaints.com slash submit. Are you struggling to lose weight and keep it off? Tired of wasting time and money on starvation diets that lead to more frustration and stress? If there was a weight loss solution that could actually work for you, would you try it? Then head to golo.com. I'm Steve. I lost 138 pounds in nine months on Golo. I'm Amber. I've lost 128 pounds with Golo taking release. If you're ready to take back control of your life, head to golo.com now and see how Golo can work for you. That's G-O-L-O.com. My sleep is way better. My inflammation has gone way down. Golo saved my life. I was way overweight. That's what sent me down the path. I wanted to make sure and live for my kid. I have literally tried everything. I was on the verge of getting gastric bypass surgery, and I saw the Golo commercial, and it was the last thing I tried because it worked. Join over 2 million people who have found a better way to lose weight with Golo. Your healthier and happier life begins at Golo.com. That's G-O-L-O.com. Again, G-O-L-O.com. Deep in the bowels of Oklahoma exists a passageway that has remained locked for decades, untouched by mortals. We don't know why it was sealed nearly a century ago, but we are thirsting to find out. So thirsty. Do you have the same insatiable curiosity as us to see what lies beyond its threshold? On September 24th. 2023. We will unveil the shadows together via live stream as we open this sealed passageway, slaking our thirst for arcane knowledge. And we want you to be there with us. Virtually, of course. This may be dangerous. We don't have liability insurance. Oh my eyes! But what will we find? Is this passageway a sealed tomb? A hideaway for treasure? A portal into another dimension? Maybe it's alien. Even we won't know until September 24th, and you can be there to discover the secrets with us. I'm not scared. Visit homespunhaints.com slash basement to RSVP for this event and find out how you can participate in this interactive adventure with us. As long as there's darkness to explore, we shall remain its loyal devotees. RSVP now and immerse yourself in the abyss of the unknown that is Diana's Basement. <laughs> Visit homespunhaints.com slash basement.